Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected. Good morning, Team Crillac community, and uh, good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you are, since we, we do have a guest here from a uh, different time zone. And on behalf of Marine Corps University, the Marine Corps University Foundation, and the Brute Crillac Center for Innovation, Innovation of Future Warfare, welcome back to the Brutecast, our series designed to connect the worlds of the warfighter and PME with the best in innovative and creative thought. I'm your host, Major Ian Brown, Operations Officer at the Krulak Center. Before we begin, please remember that all opinions expressed here are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Krulak Center, Marine Corps University, United States Marine Corps, any other agency of the U.S. government, or any other agency with which our guests might be affiliated. So for our second episode of Season 5 of the Brewcast, we're pleased to welcome Ms. Ada Sain from the Kizbazinya Project in Turkey. Team Krulak first learned about this project from a wargaming exercise that we ran for the NATO Allied Rapid Reaction Corps in the United Kingdom a few months back. And if you want to know more about that exercise, as well as more about the Allied Rapid Reaction Corps, please check out our previous broadcast interview with their team members. Uh, it was a good time. Uh, but the Kizbazinya project aims to increase the place of women in the defense and security sector, strategic decision-making mechanisms, and domestic and foreign policy tables in Turkey. And to do this, uh, they have created a unique war game called Women in Command, Hybrid Threat Rising, which has already seen use in Europe and the United States. And so Ms. Sain will discuss this project and the unique war, war gaming platform they've created. Um, so some background on our guest. Uh, she is a last year law student in the University of Strasbourg, France, with an interest in conflict and defense. Her work has included uh, coordinating and working with the US Embassy in Ankara and NATO Public Diplomacy Division funded project with the Kiz Bazinia, or uh, translated as just a just a girl, non-governmental organization. She became the project manager of the Women in Command project following the alpha release of the product on which she acted as the design team lead. Under her leadership, Women in Command became Turkey's first game dealing with hybrid threats, the first game to be developed for training women leaders, the first game to be designed and led by a woman, and the first game to be presented in an international wargaming conference. The game also obtained the International Serious Play Awards Golden Medal. She has presented this game at the Connections UK Wargaming Conference, at Connections Oz, at the Land Warfare Academy of the Netherlands, which made it the first time a tabletop war game developed in Turkey was used in a NATO member nation's military institution. She's been uh, invited to speak at the Hybrid Threats and National Defense Symposium of the Land Warfare Academy of Turkey as a panel speaker for the UK Fight Club, which I would note that Fight Club uh, with the Allied Rapid Reaction Corps was how we made this connection. She was a facilitator for the game with NATO's STO's Tide Sprint Spring Session and also facilitated it for the Georgetown University Wargaming Society, which anybody who follows us knows, uh, Georgetown University Wargaming Society been a great friend of ours and a great partner. Um, and it's great to see them uh, being a platform for these kind of, these kind of new and unique games. Um, so Ada, welcome. Um, definitely appreciate you taking time here at the end of your day uh, across the sea to come and talk to us about this. And um, so I, I, I think the, you know, I'll let you have some uh, opening comments, and then we'll go into questions and get more into, uh, into the game. Yeah, sure. So thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor. Um, starting the project, we would never think that U.S. Marine Corps would actually have us on their podcast. So we're very happy about it. And the team is, I know that are very excited and some of them I have with me kind of listening around. Um, so if you 
would like, I can just start um, kind of presenting with um, a presentation we put up um, and then kind of, like you said, we can go with the questions. Uh, yeah, sure thing. Um, so I will briefly talk about the women in, I will actually um, briefly talk about Kizbashina first, our NGO, and then talk about the Women in Command project and then um, continue with the Hebrew Threat Rising game. Uh, please feel free to cut me off at any point. Um, everyone knows that I can talk about it for hours and hours on end, and I like to talk a lot. So it's great to cut me off sometimes. Um, about Kizbashina, the um, NGO um, I represent right now. So its name is Kizbashina and it means just a girl. And it's that way because um, in Turkey growing up, especially in some parts of Turkey, you hear a lot of, you're just a girl, so you cannot do that. You're just a girl, you cannot go there, etc. Um, and we kind of wanted to take that saying and then empower it in our way and say, you are a girl, you are a woman, so you can do that. And since 2017, we've been operating in Ankara um, on many women-related issues in Turkey. Um, we kind of consider ourselves as the R&D of NGOs in Turkey. We tend to do a lot of first-time projects, and I'm glad that Women in Command made it on the list. It's one of our, you know, many firsts. So um, continuing with the Women in Command project, um, it's about women and it's about empowering women in defense. So um, we started the project in May 2021 um, through the U.S. Embassy of Ankara. And at that time, we kind of discovered, because it was a time where many um, military and um, socioeconomic conflict, conflicts were happening. So we discovered that in those types of conflicts, women and children got hurt the most because women were not actually represented in decision-making mechanisms. Especially in Turkey, where defense industry is growing tremendously, we need more women in those um, mechanisms and, and in those tables to represent and to kind of diversify the conversation going on. Um, however, that's not possible because of the way we are raised, the way the system works here. And kind of to counter that and to establish a more peaceful, parent-safe world in the end, because that's what it's for, um, we started the Women in Command project for women between the ages of 18 to 30 who are students and um, at their early career stage who want to pursue a career in defense, security, or in peace um, through establishing a network of leader women. So throughout this project, we, like I said, aim to establish a network of women so that they get to actually in their career kind of empower each other, kind of support each other through this network, which does not exist right now. It's mainly a male-dominated network that there is in Turkey. Um, so also we wanted to support their careers and their knowledge in defense, security, and peace through workshops. However, since this is a since this is aimed at women who are my age, who are kind of young, um, doing workshops who take maybe about 40 or 50 or maybe one minutes or one hour, that's not the most effective way to teach something. That's kind of what we see right now. Um, it's always the best to kind of diversify the ways you teach. And um, at that time, having connections, especially at NATO, especially through our mentors, um, we discovered that war games are not really done in Turkey for um, education purposes, for civilians especially. And we discovered that not only you get to kind of practice um, a subject, get the learning outcomes in, but at the same time, you get to have fun, depending on, of course, who you play with and what you do and what the subject is. But um, it's a great way to di diversify a way of teaching. So 
um, on top of the workshops um, we give, we wanted to support that with a war game, and that's how the Hebrew Threat Rising War Game was born. Um, and I will get to that later. I will just talk a bit more about the leader women and how the Women in Command project works. So basically, you said pretty much most of them. We had many first representing the war game and our leaders. But um, also, we reached many Turkish women, not only 15, but a bit more, um, who are working and or studying in different um, subjects like international relations, sociology, law, etc., and from all around Turkey. So one of our main aims is to reach any women we can, um, whether they're on the West or on the East, whether they have um, the means to study the subject they want or not. We want to be able to reach them in terms of um, equal opportunity um, ideas. So I, I already said it, we um, presented them with some workshops, which went really great um, to some women who did not have the opportunity to go to some universities because maybe it was kind of out of their reach um, financially or um, region-wise. Um, we had the chance to bring many valuable guests and have them kind of interact with the leader women in the team and then ask questions, which was really good for us because we got to hear a lot of the questions they had um, and then we kind of got to incorporate them in our game, which I will talk about later. Um, we did many fun activities because, like I just said, having women connect is such a valuable thing because later on they will be able to really know each other, they will be able to kind of support each other in their own networks. Um, whenever the time comes, one woman may be able to say, so I know this um, other woman who works in this other organization, so maybe I can refer you to that person. So this is really valuable and important to us. So we had game nights, we had movie nights, we did collaborative playlists. So we had so much fun as well. We are continuing to have it. Um, and we, at the end, want them to play the game, learn the game, to have more learning outcomes on top of the workshops that we gave to them. And then basically establish a community through that as well, because what other way there is than to play games and have fun together than to kind of know each other and really get connected. Um, and we designed the Hebrew Threat Rising game. So I have pretty much all of the components of the game laid out in front of me. We have a map, we have cards, we have supporting elements, we have a tutorial level. So um, on how we got to develop the game is um, at the beginning, we looked at many documents. We did a lot of research and analysis. And I think this was the most fascinating part. Um, we got to discover a lot of new subjects, um, talked a lot with our mentors. Um, we worked with Imaginetic from Canada, and we worked with um, Becca Chaplin from um, NATO's SAS 129 and 172 work research task groups. Um, and we worked with Girl Security from Washington, D.C., who had done a similar project before, but for um, high school level women. And we also got to play a lot of games which was the most fun part of the project, I think. Um, we discovered Memoir 44, Twilight Struggle. Um, we played Brian Train's um, um, game on the Russian war as well. And we just kind of diversified our subjects. We came up with a lot of the learning outcomes that we wanted to present to later women a bit. And then we started to design the game. So designing the game, it was also one of the most fascinating parts. Um, to me, I think the whole project is kind of fascinating. So I will just continue to say that and repeat it, I think. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, and basically 
we worked with, again, Imaginetic. And at that time, I was leading the design team. And in Turkey, we did not have any young women who were designing war games. So that did not exist. And we kind of had to build up our own team from zero. <laughs> and we did a very selective um, team building process. And we basically had women about my age from, I don't know, maybe 18 to 27, 28, from maybe studying architecture, who had experience in graphic design, who were studying law, etc. So we had a group of um, women interested in designing games and playing games, which was the most important part for us. And we also had uh, men um, who were interested in playing games, because that's also something that we would like to have in mind because not only we want to we want this um, game to speak to women, but it's also very important that it speaks to pretty much everyone we, we present it to. So that's as inclusive as, inclusive as it can be. Um, so our development method was um, very influenced by the NATO STOs, SAS 129 Research Task Group, who was working on the gamification of cyber defense. And basically, we pretty much took their way of designing a game, um, which is very focused on playtesting. Um, it let us kind of build this game in three months. So kind of do the alpha release in, at the end of those three month period um, and test it every time, uh, maybe two or three times a day so that it's ready in a very short period of time. Um, we started with very small, very like hand-drawn graphics. I remember them. I, can, I would like to show that to them, but I kind of want to continue very quickly so that I have time for more questions. But um, we had um, very like hand-drawn graphics and then we put them um, on, you know, at um like photoshop or indesign and then we kind of continued from there it was really fun to see how the game developed like day to day since we were pretty much designing the game in the morning and then in the afternoon we would do the play test and then at like night time we would kind of continue doing the graphics so that it's ready for the next day for us to play test um i always describe this process for as like it was um blood sweat and tears because having to break your game pretty much every day <laughs> played at all on our mental health even though we were having a lot of fun we were working with people we loved absolutely loved but it was at the same time getting really difficult and um it was at the end of those three months um that we were normally supposed to have a tournament of this game and then have leader women kind of um do a conference slash tournament between themselves and you know, finish the project. Um, but when we did the alpha release, we also had a chance to got, get connected to UK Fight Club. And I'm, I'm sorry, to Connections UK. Um, and that's when we got to present the game and have, have played. And it was a very inspiring, I think, element in continuing the project, because we saw that how the international audience was actually impressed by it and impressed by the dynamics and impressed by what it represented um because it's a hybrid threats game and um you have a lot of elements i will talk about them later briefly but um you have um influence you have isr you have um cyber attacks you have you know different types of psyops you have combat you have urban and regional combat etc 
the list just goes on. So it was great to see that it was appreciated by more people. And then from, I think, Connections UK, it kind of, um, I don't know if it's an exaggeration to say it exploded, but it kind of did. We got a lot of emails saying, oh, this is a great project. How can I participate? How can I play test? And then that's when we realized that we actually were holding on to a lot more potential than we thought. And um, we kind of went back to the embassy and said, so this game has a lot more potential. Can we continue this? And they were very um, graceful to say yes. And we kind of extended the whole project for a year from there. And once we realized that we had that time to continue to develop the game, we um, formed different teams. We formed a research team. We formed um, a different playtest team because, again, it was getting a lot more difficult to play as the game. Um, having to break it every and every and every day, it was getting kind of not fun anymore. So we said, okay, we will just give this task to completely different people so that other people get to see it as well. Because honestly, we were getting a little bit defensive on our game. We were like, we don't want to criticize this game anymore. It's perfect the way it is, even though it was not perfect, of course, at some points. So we kind of want to delegate that, that task to other people. Um, so once we um, formed those teams, um, until that point, we were kind of working in Ankara in Turkey. And um, since I was, for example, going to somewhere else, the team was kind of um, moving to different places. We wanted to digitize the game, not only for us, but for um, various projects that we were holding on to in the future to being able to play it internationally, for example, to show it to you right now um, on my browser, etc. So we just digitized the whole game, we digitized the cards, we digitized the board, um, all of the tokens, um, and then we made it available through browser. Um, of course, you have to, to access it, it's not very open. You have to get a link from us first, and then we have to give authorizations. But Using World20, um, which is such an accessible platform, even though it lacks sometimes, it was great. Um, it opened the project to a lot more, you know, potential and capabilities. Um, so once we did that, and then we had from the research playtest teams, we decided that the game was getting a lot more complicated than we thought, because we intended the game to be a beginner level game, but with all the learning outcomes that we had put onto it, um, it was sometimes getting a lot a bit harder to understand and to kind of um, maneuver around. Um, so we came up with a bunch of supporting elements. Um, for example, we um, formed player aids for city combat, for regional combat, um, to also another one to navigate through the game. For each player, we have a red and blue, so one for each. Um, we wrote a road to crisis document, um, which kind of gave the intention of the game and kind of set the ground history of it. Um, we were influenced by the Russia-Ukraine conflict in 2014. So um, we made it very general using no names whatsoever, using very different names we created, like Estrador and Ukraine to represent red and blue. Um, we set a similar history to explain to people where does this conflict come from, because when once we started to play with people outside of the designers and um, our own team, we quickly realized that when when you when you're playing with especially a woman who has um, no military background, no war game experience, the first question you get is why? Why is there this conflict? Where does this come from? 
basically we formed the Road to Crisis document and then just to answer some history related questions and also to introduce more learning outcomes and more um, kind of terms that you hear, but not specifically know if you do not have a military background or defense related background, like um, center of gravity, etc. I will just keep it short. Um, and then um, we started to play test very regularly for about four to five months. So the playtest team meant we had about 15 to 20 people from very different backgrounds. Um, they met and then they kind of released reports at the end of every month, which, which kind of led us to perfect our cards, perfect our board, make it as user-friendly as possible and see where the game mechanics worked and where it did not. So this was pretty much the process. And while doing all these, um, we also got to play um, with many, oops, many um, institutions and kind of see what their own requirements were. So coming out of that, we, for example, released a mega game and a tutorial level game because we realized that, for example, in some of the NATO games or some of the more like bigger defense institution war games, it sometimes takes up to two hours to learn about the game and then um, you can start playing it, putting it on top of your prior knowledge on war games. Um, but we didn't want that. We wanted the game to be as accessible as possible. So we created a separate tutorial level game um, and we got tested at the Royal Military Academy of Netherlands, where we played with about 90 cadets, my 93rd and 4th year cadets. And it was absolutely amazing. It went really well. Um, they learned in about 30 to 40 minutes, and then they played it against um, our team first in Ankara, and they gave them a really hard time, which I was really surprised about. Um, they got to learn the mechanics and how it works really fast. And then they played it between each other for the second and third days, which is amazing, absolutely amazing to see. We had a lot of fun, they had a lot of fun, and they learned a lot. Um, and the third and another thing that we did was the mega game. Um, it was also for the Royal Military Academy of Netherlands because um, we were supposed to accommodate about you know 90 people, <laughs> 90 cadets, and it was really hard to kind of divide the game and then kind of have them play it maybe you know one after another or separately. So we designed a special order and command structure um, that is based on military reporting to have one operations and then kind of giving commands to different teams. We got to test it really briefly, but mostly we focused there on the main game. Um, when the third point is when the Russian Ukrainian conflict broke out again this year, we realized that our own game was already up updated. So we wanted to see if the game had the capacity to be um, adapted to other scenarios, future scenarios, or different types of um, game elements, different types of histories. So we developed a special matrix game for it and also got to test it with, um, I think, Georgetown University. Um, and it worked really well as well. Um, it kind of proved that we could actually use matrix games even within our own game as a critical analysis tool. So this was kind of the additions on top of the game. Um, and as I said, during all this time of game development research um, to kind of re-prepare for this summer for um, the tournament and accommodating leader women. We did a lot of game events and game presentations um, pretty much 
at any chance we got because one, we love to talk about the game and talk about the project. It's always very much fun. Um, two, because it's always amazing to see what other people think, especially international experts who have been doing this for a long time. And third, and most importantly, um, is to connect with more women from different backgrounds in as many different backgrounds as possible to have their opinions, to have their feedbacks, which kind of helps us um, change the game, change our mechanics in the best ways possible to accommodate the later women. So in terms of that, we um, presented at Connections UK, um, we presented to the Cyber Command of Netherlands, we did the Land Warfare Academy of Netherlands event, we presented at Connections Oz, and then we did the opener remarks for the women in IT webinar for USMCA Ankara. Um, we presented at the Hybrid Threats um, and National Defense Symposium of the Turkish Land Warfare Academy. Um, we were very um, lucky to be invited also to speak at the Women's Day webinar of UK Fight Club. It was so much fun and we got to do a lot of, you know, connecting and networking as well. It was amazing to get to hear thoughts of, for example, Tess Butler and other amazing women invited. Um, we recently presented at NATO SEO's Tide Spring Conference in Poland. Um, and we played with Georgetown University, Central Michigan University. Um, we did many events with UK Fight Club. Um, we did, for example, MMA 44 tournament. We did, um, we played this war of mine to kind of see how humanitarian could be maybe included in our game. And we recently played with UK Civil Service. And we have, I'm just continuing with ends and ends and ends, but we also have a game coming up with DSTL, I think next week. So we're very excited on that as well. Um, here are the upcoming events for it. And I will just kind of continue with the mechanics of the game and then talk about what um, do we have in the game? What do we accommodate in the game? Um, so we wanted to represent real life events and kind of simulate them in the best way possible. Of course, with having the outcome open to how players play the game and kind of go themselves throughout the game so that they can see different consequences play out. Um, and to build a game, which is a, again, hybrid warfare war game um, that lasts about three hours, um, it is played through two players. So it could be just two players or two teams of whatever many people, um, up to 10, of course, and then it gets to be lost. Um, it uh, mainly talks about, and it kind of aims to at least to stimulate um, the Russian-Ukrainian conflict of 2014 um, in a very general sense. It is aimed to be a beginner level war game. That's why I talked so much about our player rates and accessibility issues. Um, and it is mainly ran by cards. Um, it simulates about, about 12 months, uh, 12 most active months of the conflict. And it has five turns and in every turn you get to test out different kind of scenarios, um, most of them being based on cards. So we used cards to kind of give women a sense of control because once you have to come up with your um, own decisions, it's always have it's, it's always the best to have something written in front of you. At least that was our experience. And with cards, you get to kind of give the background information, so what happened, the history of that card, and then the effect of that card. And then at least you have, one, once you have something in front of you that you can read and come back to and think about and maybe discuss with your teammates, it kind of facilitates the conversation and then lets you kind of feel at least more in control of the game and more 
at Izbede. Um, so we took our event scenarios from um, the research specialist team on hybrid warfare of NATO STO. Um, it's there from their model from the Ukrainian case study reports. So we basically went to, went through the whole report and said, what are the main scenarios that we can take? Um, what are the main events that we can take and put in our game? And it worked really well with us because every time, for example, we play it with women, it's always great when they see the outcome, so the effect of an event. Um, they actually get to sometimes look at the cards, take notes and say, oh, great. So this happens when this event, take, this event take, takes place. So that was great for our learning outcomes. Um, for Stratcom scenarios, so for in terms of cards, we have three types of cards. We have blue cards, which benefit blue. We have red cards, which benefit red. And then we have gray cards, neutral cards, which may benefit um, one of the players, um, which may have bad consequences um, on two of the players, etc. So they're kind of like wild cards and they represent humanitarian issues. And not only humanitarian issues, but also humanitarian issues based on women. So you will have women's march, you will have women's job search, you will have um, women sticking up together. And then it is really great to see how especially these cards speak to women, even though they do not go through those experiences themselves. It's something they can relate to and emphasize in. So it lets them really get connected to the game and really kind of focus and understands what understand what's going on. Um, so our Stratcom scenarios are um, adapted from NATO's Strategic Communication Center of Excellence database, and our hybrid warfare scenario, war, hybrid warfare model, is from NATO STO's implications for NATO SIS one two seven report. Um, so this part was most was you was you mostly used, I'm sorry, was mostly used um, to kind of set the card-based influence model of the game. I will very shortly open the game for you as well, but just, to just so you have an idea beforehand. Um, this part was mostly used to stimulate kind of the influence-based mechanic we have, where you influence, um, you put influence on different cities and then you kind of gain control of them. And here we go. And once you finish that influence part, we have cyber attack scenarios, which were um, modeled from the NATO Cooperative Cyber Defense Center of Excellence report. Um, so we used real life scenarios. We made them very general again with no names whatsoever. But um, we wanted to take real life scenarios to show to the women and of course men playing this game that cyber attacks happen every time, more, even more than you would expect. So they will happen at every turn of the game. And then you will have to kind of navigate them as much as you can. So even though red attacks blue every turn and blue can do nothing about it, pretty much. Um, what blue can do is to prepare. So for example, it could be building up resources, resource, resource points to kind of um, decrease the effect of that attack from mid to low, for example. Um, so once you do cyber attack, um, we go into multi-domain operations. Um, multi-domain was one of the parts where we had the most difficulty kind of operating um, because it's such a detailed concept and once you introduce multi-domain capabilities into the game you kind of have to either go all the way or kind of have it in a very basic level so that especially first-time war gamers when they see multi-domain they don't get confused so um we 
basically put them on a very basic level um, just to represent what multi-domain is and how can it benefit a player, how can it benefit a nation, um, a military organization playing this. Um, and then once you finish that, we go into um, special operations. We go into basically the combat, the action phase of the game. And at that point, we have urban combat, we have um, regional combat, and for that whole combat and unit mechanic, we took our order of battle from the the army lineup and order of battle um, from the Institute of the Study Institute for the Study of War Resources, um, which was really helpful. We just kind of modeled them up and then um, put them to the game with very restricted um, kind of number of tokens, so you don't get to have as many units as you want in the game. Um, so they're very realistic on that part. Um, for the simulation table, so for the um, CRTs, combat result tables, we modeled strike, strike created by DSTL and the Ministry of Defense of England, um, which was really helpful. Again, we kind of modeled it up. Um, normally, I believe their own combat result table is like a page long table, which is really complicated, um, but we, again, want to simplify it as best as we could, so we modeled it up. Um, and um, a bit more details on the game, I will just try to kind of switch to the game page. Here we go. Um, while that's launching, I will continue with um, some of the game mechanics that I personally find interesting, and if you have more questions, please feel free to ask. Um, I think two things are one of two things are very valuable um the first one is that we have different mechanics for red and blue so we try to kind of simulate um the conditions that were at stake as best as we could and once we looked at what happened we saw that blue did not have as as many resources as red had or um, in terms of logistics um in terms of um, financial resources or military resources, or in terms of influence even sometimes. So we started, um, we let the red players start kind of ahead in the game so that red gets to kind of attack first and then blue has to kind of catch up as how it played out um, actually in real life. But um, it of course does not matter that the blue player, um, I'm sorry, of course it doesn't kind of, um, lets the blue player lose every time. It's important that the blue player kind of accommodates their own resources in the best way possible. And we saw as many um, outcomes where blue won and red lost and vice versa. Um, as you can see here, we have on the right um, red cities and, um, sorry, so this whole country is blue's country. And on the right where it's red, it's red and threat players kind of country but we don't really go into that it's just there to represent and then here we have the um conflicted cities where people are supposed to support red um and while i was talking about the different mechanics that go into red and blue is that we for example play out different um kind of combat models um when it comes to urban combat for blue and red so that blue does not get to attack its own cities to take control of them if they aren't, for example, controlled by red, which makes sense in the end. But we wanted to kind of diversify how some combat is played out just so when people, when women especially play this, they get to kind of come to a sense of that um, 
players aren't always balanced because they don't have to be because they were not. And in real life conflicts, you don't get balanced at 100%. Um, especially nowadays, combat is supposed to be, I mean, combat is asymmetric and you have to accommodate it as much as you can to the best of your ab abilities. Um, another thing I want to mention in terms of balance and in terms of what is different kind of in our game is that both blue and red have different winning conditions. For example, um, blue gets victory points by prestige. So we want to show that for blue to win, blue has to prove to its own people, to the international community and to red that blue was able to defeat red. So whenever, for example, blue um, regains control of their own city or um, gets to eliminate a red unit or does a really good defense operation, um, blue will get a victory point. And on the contrary, red gets victory points by territorial control. So red will try to show that, so in this city, I am supported and in this city, people like me the most. So every time they control a city, they will get one victory point. Of course, I'm not going into very detailed mechanics, but that's pretty much it in terms of who's win who wins and who loses. And another thing that we struggled the most was diplomacy and international organizations. And for that, we put out a crisis meter mechanic where red can only go in with um, a, num a limited number of regular units in blue's country so it can only cross the border with a, a set number of units otherwise the crisis meter gets triggered and then international organizations go in to support the blue player um so i think this is i'm sure there are stuff i missed while talking so much but um i think pretty much it on my side if you have any questions i would be very much happy to answer them as best as i can all right Great, thank you very much, Otto. That was a that was a great like front to front to back presentation and discussion of of both the project and the game. So, uh, and I'll for those in the digital audience here, feel free to start putting your questions in the chat to ask to our guest. Um, I do have a couple things to kind of uh, lead the discussion off with, and um, first one is like is is less about the game than uh, more about the impact of your project overall. Um, have you have you seen this in the um, I, in the time that since you stood the project up as well as developing the game, what, what has been the impact in achieving the goals of the project inside of Turkey? Uh, you know, trying to bring more, more women to the table in national security discussions um, and getting them more into wargaming in, in itself. Um, what have you seen so far since you started this work? So um, we've been working with, so thank you so much for your question. Um, it was one of the things I think I missed while talking, but um, we, started to work with our own community of leader women. Of course, we've been kind of in contact with international um, kind of players and international organizations. And we've been talking to many women outside of Turkey, but we got to open a project to women in Turkey, women based in Turkey in about February. And since then we got to about 40 leader women um, that's what we call them. We call them leader women to kind of like empower them and kind of motivate them for the future. But um, we have about 40 of them now. And since, for example, when we first started, even, so I will go kind of like part by part, but when we first started, um, it was really amazing to see during orientation meetings and during, you know, just meetings where they got to know each other. 
that they were already very much influenced and motivated by what their peers in their own industries were doing. So we had some of them reach out to us after that. So I got connected with this person who kind of is helping me get an internship in this position. So we immediately started to see results, which were very positive results, both for them and for the team, for our motivation. And then once we started doing the workshops, um, as I mentioned, we have, for example, some women from the east part, eastern parts of Turkey who do not have access to same educational all capabilities um, or capacities. Um, and once we were, once we started to bring professors or um, professionals in, it was great to hear them talk about their own motivations and their own like future plans with those professionals and then have them get as motivated and as influenced by having a direct connection to someone who's working in their future area. So that was kind of like the second impact Thirdly, when we um, we very recently started to play the game and introduce them to wargaming, how to design a wargame, because we went through such a long process of that. Um, it was great to see that they had discovered a new area, which is wargaming, which was also very kind of fun to discussion team because that's not usually what we do. Um, and it was great to kind of hear them talk between each other and to us about. So what are the other war games that I can play? Um, what are the things that I can learn in terms of war gaming, in terms of um, defense and defense exercises? So I think with those three parts, we kind of got an initial positive response. And in the future, of course, we would like to kind of open them into interviews, um, into kind of like internships, etc. And for that, we've actually been in connection with um, NATO, SCO's chief scientist office and we are in kind of um in the process of planning a visit directly to NATO HQ in Brussels and I think it will be great to see after that what kind of impact that has on them and then kind of to see what their response is and last thing that I can add is that um one of our projects aim is to kind of follow them in the next maybe five years, so in the long term as well, to see where they end up in terms of their careers, if this project is successful also in the long term, where they get to support each other and they get to really nice places um, for themselves. And so we will also be looking into that as well, to keeping that a close community through maybe games, through events, through other kind of international maybe organizations, but we will see that as well. Okay, great, thank you. Um, next question is actually, uh, I, Dr. Uh, Leslie Wilhelm threw it in there and it's something I wrote down here as well, uh, which I think will be of, of definite interest to our audience, which is if people wanna get more involved in this project, how, what's the best way to, uh, to ask to help with playtesting or to facilitate a session? And what's, what's the best way to, to follow your organization to see uh, not just where the game goes, but other other things that your uh, your organization is working on? Oh, sure. So I think, um, oh yeah, okay, this is a great question. Um, I think it would be best to maybe reach out to us directly through you or through maybe LinkedIn, et cetera. You can just type my name and I will show up. Um, if you want to play test the game or if you want to know more about the Women in Command project, if you want to even play the game, we're of course always open to that. We really have fun playing our own game, so no worries. Um, and if you know, 
if you would like to know more about Kazbashina NGO and what we do in terms of women and in terms of more local projects um, or even international other projects, which, for example, we just started one with UNFPA, um, you can always look at our website, which is um, Kazbashina, the way you write it in English alphabet, or you can also um, search us on LinkedIn or on Instagram. So we are pretty much on every social media place possible. Okay, thank you. And yeah, and for for those online and listening, I'm going to make sure to put some links to those those accounts and web pages in the show notes for this one, so you can just go directly there right from this episode. Last question I kind of have for you, and then I'll one more chance out to the digital audience if you have something, type it in. But uh, obviously, you had uh, you've made a lot of inroads and been able to demonstrate this to uh, you know partners, allies in the European continent. George, Georgetown aside, uh, for, for the event you did for them. Do you have any other plans for uh, for demonstrating and facilitating this, either for you know American national security think tank, you know, academic or civilian type organizations, or you know, outside of Marine Corps University here, other uh, other U.S. military educational institutions in the future? We are in the process of organizing some games and some events with um, GSTL, some UK and U.S. based organizations. But um, of course, we are always open, and I would like to really underline this. We are open for any type of collaboration and the type of kind of reach we can get to professionals and to you know women, especially in these areas, but also male professionals, because any um, feedback we can get from different people lets us increase the accessibility and the visibility of this game, which is really valuable to us. So if um, any organization comes at us or any individual even we are, we are very much open to test it talk about it kind of go through it um really to anything so that's something i can emphasize flatly all right i don't have any other questions here in the chat and uh we're coming up on about an hour here so um happy to sure. give you any any last comments or thoughts you'd like to share before we finish um so i think i mentioned pretty much anything i could of course, I could talk about it for hours and hours on end, but feel free to reach out if you have any remaining questions or anything you would like to say or initiate. We are very much open. And thank you so much for having me. It is a great, great pleasure to talk for the um, Marine Corps and, you know, for your organization, which we've been kind of in contact for some time now. And this is something that's like long awaited in terms of podcasts or any kind of visual for the team. So they're like really excited. There was some people coming in and going up um so again thank you so much and it's great to be here yeah well thanks to you for uh for your time and staying engaged with us over the summer so we could put this together and um i'm sorry do you have one one comment here i'll make sure we get out sally at mps she's going to reach out to you via linkedin um she works on the global echo team at able postgraduate school and i can uh I, I can actually speak to the the good stuff the global echo team does at mps they have a whole host of web-based games um, that are really open access as long as you just ask them for, for a username and password to get you in. But we at the Krulak Center, we, we have leveraged, we leveraged Global Echo actually for one of our wargaming tournaments at the peak COVID when we couldn't bring anyone in to do it. So they have a whole suite of digital games and we ran our tournament using their Info Chess game, which is uh, it's chess with a lot of, a lot of twists, uh, hidden information, cyber, um, uh, psychological it's it's a fascinating game that i would i would recommend to anybody in the audience as well to go check out on its own right but also i think there's there's good opportunity for collaboration there between you and mps um so 
definitely uh, look out for a message from her. Um, okay, sure. everybody, uh, appreciate your time today this afternoon. Um, Otto, thanks for for jumping in uh, in your evening hours, um, after work hours, and sharing all this information with us. To uh, everyone in our audience, um, appreciate your time and joining us today. We hope you can join us next week because next week we have a uh, we got our first brewcast double header in the works coming online for next Wednesday. Wednesday morning, we have the unique honor to talk with General Eric Smith, who is the Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps, to talk about the Talent Management 2030 effort, which was a conversation we had here on the broadcast a couple months back with the Talent Management Strategy Group that's working for General Smith. And uh, we'll learn more about sort of what, uh, what they've been doing in the interim and what the Marine Corps is doing with its talent management uh, reforms in general. And then we're also looking to do a recording with leadership of the 2nd Marine Division on their support to Task Force 61 TAC-2, which has recently been both a large piece of America's security presence in the European region and part of a test bed for concepts from Force Design 2030, which has also been a lively topic of discussion in recent months here. So watch for announcements for both of those episodes on our email list and our social media channels. And finally, I'll put a plug in for our newly released episode of Down the Rabbit Hole on the Russia-Ukraine War with Dr. Yuval Weber where we talk about the recent Ukrainian strike against the Russian airbase in Saki, Crimea, uh, have some, some possible theories. I fully admit it's speculation, but there's, uh, there's uh, in the absence of more detailed information, we explore some possible ways uh, the Ukrainian military might have been able to carry this out because it's, uh, it was definitely a, uh, a unique, uh, unique strike that they carried out at a far longer range than we've seen anything thus far. And so some possible implications for the next phase of the war. So for that one, we definitely recommend the YouTube edition of that episode since we make extensive use of the Ukraine map from Mr. Tim Barrick's operational war game system. So for all that and for all future events, uh, make sure you follow us and we hope to see you for those. Thank you. Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected.